fact, that's why as a church, as we kicked off this year, we wanted to intentionally say, let's dream. Let's, uh, let's reimagine. Let's live our lives in 2021 in such a way that it redeems 2022. And so in the process of that, we invited Bob Goff to speak to us and to kind of set the stage for a conversation I've wanted to kind of have throughout this year about us as a people, us as individuals dreaming. Because when you live in a holding pattern long enough, it starts to get a hold of you. And you start to kind of lose hope that it's ever going to change. And you start to see your day every single day as just the same old, same old. And it gets really old fast. And so this month, we wanted to kind of launch off of what Bob set up for us last month around this idea of dreaming big. That's why we have um, two different opportunities to lean into the dream big conversation. Um, Whether you've read the book or not, whether um, you are interested in making a major change in your life or really just taking a step back and evaluating your life, the dream big um, conversations I think are going to be really helpful. And if you haven't registered, I would encourage you to go ahead and do that at EncounterChurch.com forward slash dream. It'll allow you, uh, whether it's the online version or the on-site version, um, there's five more videos that Bob's provided for us. And I think you're going to be in for a treat leaning in and reimagining this year. But for our Sunday conversation, I've wanted to kind of set the stage this month by looking at what will it look like to come out of this season with a greater reward with a greater kind of intention. In some ways, this season has served as a great big New Year's day for us to take a step back and to reimagine our life. But the reality is, is that if you kind of see it through the lens of a New Year's day, you recognize that by now, 80% of people who make New Year's resolutions have already stopped. They've already failed, and they've already gone back. And so how do we as a people, move forward into this year with greater reward, knowing that there's a tendency and a barrier that tends to get in our way every single time. And today I want to look at a mindset, a a way of thinking. There's a word I even want to help strap, kind of completely like delete from our vocabulary. And to do that, I want to take a look at a passage, actually one of the passages that I read every single day of my life, every day. I read this passage, and it's a passage kind of buried in a letter that was a a collection of a series of letters that Paul, the apostle, wrote um, around 50 A.D. And so while these are really incredibly um, old letters, they seem to be very relevant for today. The backdrop for this letter to the church in Corinth, um, we have two of uh, many of the letters that corresponded back and forth. The first one of those letters is called 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, to understand, if you've ever read it or if you ever maybe out of this message today, you want to sit down and start to read it, to kind of give you a backdrop so that you understand it, 1 Corinthians can feel very disjointed. And the reason why is because the reason Paul writes this letter comes out of him being approached by someone who had spent time in that church after Paul had departed and moved on to his next ministry location. The person comes along and says, hey, I've been spending time in Corinth and I've interacted with the church and there seems to be a lot of issues going on there. In fact, Paul identifies 11 different issues that he wants to address in the midst of 1 Corinthians, which is why when you read the letter, it feels very disjointed because you're in this section and then it quickly turns to this section and then it turns to this topic. And it's because Paul was systematically walking through 
the 11 different issues. But because he was hitting on so many different issues, what would happen in the midst of him touching on one issue is that Paul would give a little bit more kind of biographical backdrop in those letters than maybe you get in other passages. We get a little bit of not just what Paul thinks, but because of 1 Corinthians, we get how Paul thought. And one of the secrets, I think, to Paul's life and the impact of Paul's life beyond the Spirit of God present within him was this intentional kind of mindset that he's about to unpack for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He's going to show us the better way and one of the ditches that oftentimes gets in the way for us achieving and accomplishing the dreams and the passions in our life. You have to realize that Paul had an amazing passion and dream for his life. He wanted to tell everybody in the world about Jesus. That was Paul's passion. We know that from his letter to the church in Rome, that his desire was to to go wherever people had not yet heard about God's love and grace for them. And this isn't today where through a tweet or a viral TikTok video or a YouTube video or through some satellite uplink where you could communicate to everyone in the world. To do that then required lots of difficult travel, lots of hardships, and lots of challenges. And this is exactly what Paul did. And Paul was successful in his life. And it's because I believe one of the things we're about to read gives us insight to how Paul approached it. The first thing you need to know about the church in Corinth was Corinth was an interesting city. It was the location for um, the second most famous games in the ancient world. The first famous game being the Olympics, something that potentially we could celebrate this year. But the second, which was very significant that took place in Corinth, was the Isthmian Games. And these Isthmian Games were kind of the centerpiece and the focal point of kind of the life in Corinth every two years. In fact, Paul was probably there when this um, one of the games was playing out. And so it's why with that backdrop that Paul writes this letter. And between Paul's words and um, a pastor, distant mentor of mine named Craig Rochelle, um, who helped for me kind of put two words around Paul's paradigm, I think you and I can approach our lives with a different mindset that we're about to be taught through Paul. In Paul's letter, he says this, do, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? This is referring specifically to those games that everyone would have instantly thought of in that community. But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And he's talking about life. He's using this sports metaphor because he knows that all of them, every two years their lives revolved around these games that took over the city. Because the games were a big deal. There was chariot racing, there was boxing, there was wrestling, there was running, there was equestrian, there was gymnastics, there was poetry reading. Um, All of these things played out every two years in the city. And Paul knows that they know about these games. Now, Paul doesn't say run in such a way to finish your race. There is this sense of sometimes when uh, people talk about living their life, and this is in the context of living the Christian life, that it's like, well, it's just to be faithful and to finish. But Paul is using a metaphor that's not referring to finishing. He's saying, no, run this race so that you can win the prize, so that you can win. This is, you need to understand, this is not a culture where everybody gets a trophy. This is not a culture where everyone gets a ribbon 
and a celebration and an award ceremony. In fact, an, a Greek philosopher of the day wrote, in the Olympic Games, you cannot just be beaten and then depart. But first of all, you will be disgraced, not only before the people of Athens, then he lists a whole series of towns, but before the whole world. He's saying, look, it's, if you lose, it's not enough to walk away. You have to be disgraced and shamed throughout the entire world as you walk away. And then he says, Lord forbid, if you withdraw without sufficient reason, you will be whipped. And this whipping comes after you've been training, which involves thirst and broiling heat and swallowing handfuls of sand. He says, look, if, if you quit, it's even worse. Right? I mean, they had the mentality of the great theologian Ricky Bobby, right? If you're not first, you're last. This is the mindset of these people, and this is why Paul writes to them around this idea of what a greater reward life looks like. You do it in such a way as to win. That's the only way to do it. Not half-hearted, I'm going to finish, but I'm going to cross the finish line first. This is the, the paradigm he's setting in the place. And so the natural question then becomes, well, how do you win? Within this grand sports metaphor, what is winning look like? What's the, the life that leads you to that kind of accomplishing those dreams? And Paul goes on in the next verse, and he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now, the word strict training is an interesting word. It's where our word um, for agony comes from. This word means to contend for victory, to strain every nerve for the goal, for that objective, for that accomplishment. It's everything in your life is leveraged for that accomplishment. And one of the ways in English we would kind of translate that is the agony. Because it's agony to go into training. It's agony to strain for and to break through and to push through the barriers that get in the way. This is all-encompassing, Paul says, that the secret to winning for those who want to win, it involves strict training, that their life is centered, focused, and even willing to endure agony to get there. This past week, I was um, doing counseling with a couple getting ready to get married, and we were watching a video together around um, this first step in the journey through this series that we take couples through. And these individuals are kind of nationally known for their wedding advice and marriage counseling. And so they were telling a story about uh, a wedding that they were at a few years ago. And they were talking about, you know, all the kind of moments leading up to the procession. And, and then this adorable little ring bearer comes out. And he's walking down the aisle and everybody's like, oh, you know, he's cutely dressed. And he keeps going, roar. And then he'd walk a little bit more. And roar walk a little bit more, roar, and he would do that, and people were just losing it, laughing. He did that all the way down to the bride and to the groom, and then, like, he, the ceremony goes on, and as, like, the, they recess and they leave, they go down, and when it's his turn to walk, he's 
taking a couple steps, roar, and taking a couple steps, and roar. And so everybody, they're saying, is at the uh, reception, and they're naturally talking about how adorable and how cute this little kid was who roared his way down the aisle. And um, one of the individuals that they were talking to said, oh, do you hear why he was doing it? They're like, well, no, why? Well, it's because they had told him he was the ring bearer. And so he thought he was the ring bearer. And bears roar. So he was roaring his way down the aisle with the ring because he was the ring bearer. And th this idea is a perfect example of how our beliefs shape our behaviors. Of how what we believe, what we believe impacts and influences how we behave. And this is what Paul's trying to get at when his strict training. He's saying, look, an athlete... The fundamental belief they have is they want to win. And so the reason they behave the way they behave is because of this fundamental driving belief that they have, that first is the only way, that to win is the end. And so that's what they work towards. That belief impacts, complements, and shapes our behavior. That to state it through another profound words of a theologian, the great Yoda, it's do or do not, but there is no try. So I think what Paul is leaning in towards is that there is a mindset that gets in the way of us accomplishing our dreams and us accomplishing um, that life that God intended us to live, and it's this idea of us trying. Well, I'm going to try to be a better husband. I'm going to try to be more generous. I'm going to try to click off the website and not keep leaning in. I'm going to try to make sure my words are a little cleaner. I'm going to try to put down the glass or to stop after one plate. This idea of trying gets in the way when instead what Paul is saying is we need to be training. And I kind of glimpsed a little bit of this kind of put some skin on it. When I was in college, um, one of the things that genetically, I wasn't given a lot of genetic things to set me up, but I was given a few that helped me in school. One of them um, is my memory. I could read, I could listen, and I could retain, could understand pretty quickly. In fact, embarrassingly so, um, I probably missed more classes in undergrad than I attended. I didn't go to class hardly at all. In fact, I would just look at the notes, and that was it. Um, and, in fact, the, the major I was at, the major I was in at the time, um, people would kind of get frustrated with me because I would walk in, and it's, uh, you know, uh, physical, uh, inorganic chemistry. And they're like, you haven't been here the entire time. I was like, no, I flipped through the notes yesterday. And they're like, what in the world? It's, I would just kind of walk in after reading and kind of cramming, and probably like many of you, I'd just kind of cram it all in my head, and then I could pass the test and do pretty good. And so in college during the summer, I don't know why, but some friends of mine taught me into doing a musical. Now, you're probably asking, was that something you did a lot? No, I had never done a musical. I had never sang and danced and memorized lines for a play. But I figured, why not? A bunch of my friends were doing it. I should do it. And the thing that I learned was I couldn't just try to cram a bunch of lines in my head because the play was about three hours long. 
I couldn't just try to shove the lines and the dance moves and the songs into my head the night before the performance, right? I had kind of bumped up this limit in my capacity. I couldn't just try. I had to train. In fact, every single day for a couple of months leading up to the opening night, I was training for it. We would go, we would go through the lines, we would go through our dance moves, we would go through our singing, and I recognize for some of you, I just got a lot cooler, and for some of you, I just got a lot uncooler, but it doesn't matter because what I'm trying to illustrate is that trying wasn't enough. In the same way that if I wanted to try to run a marathon and I showed up later this year, I would fail miserably around mile 0.25. Because training is, is what Paul says is the essential element for moving towards our dreams and that greater reward. Trying is never consistent. Trying doesn't deliver consistent results, but training does. That's why eventually after all that training, every single night like clockwork, I could sing, I could dance, I could memorize, I had my lines internalized, I didn't even think about them, I just responded in the moment. Trying is about how much, how, how little effort can I put in to get the result. Training is about how much I can show up and set up to deliver the maximum result. Trying is dependent on your feelings and it's dependent on the circumstances you're in. Training is on your calendar. It's not circumstantial at all. In fact, it's, it's on your calendar. It's what you do. There's no questions asked. If you don't feel like it, it doesn't matter because it's what you're going to do that day. Trying, like I've been trying to lose weight this year, but you know what gets in the way? The weather report, um, Oreos, chocolate milk, um, getting up, waking up. Like all those things aren't, my try isn't big enough to overcome them. And the greater things in life, quite honestly, the barriers to get to them are bigger than the try muscles that you and I have. That try always gives us plenty of room and permission to fail. And what Paul is saying to these group of people who have struggled really, really hard around a whole myriad of issues around life is that, look, it's not enough to try to live out the Christian faith. You need to train for it. He's like, training is this wholehearted commitment to achieve that specific result. Like the athletes who would spend almost a year preparing for just minutes. Think about people competing in the Olympics this year have dedicated their entire life almost to what will be at best maybe a minute, three minutes, or five minutes on your television screen. They've spent years to invest in minutes. Anyone who's great has done the same thing. And that is because training is about that commitment and about that focus. It's not based on our feelings. It's not based on our circumstances. It's calendar. It's there. Training is about doing what you can do today so that you can do more tomorrow. Training's a different mindset. And even the word implies something different. In fact, if you wanted to get serious about losing weight, or if I wanted to get serious about losing weight, one of the things I could go do is hire a 
trainer, not a trier. I'm a trier. What I really need is a trainer. That a trainer is going to be someone who's going to help me train. So it's even embedded in some of the ways that we talk about things. But what's fascinating to me is as Paul is unpacking this, Paul gives us one of the best glimpses to how he thinks about life. A glimpse in a passage specifically that I read every single day because of the weightiness of what I see in it. Paul says this in verse 26. He says, therefore, after all that sports metaphor, after all that unpacking, he says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Up until this point, you're like, oh, Paul, you're giving them a metaphor. And it's like, no, Paul turns and says, no, this is about me. Paul's saying, look, I, I don't get a free pass on this. I know that I've been writing all this to you, but you need to understand that I'm not exempt from the example Jesus laid out. I'm not exempt from not waking up daily deciding this. He says, in fact, I, I think like I'm an athlete, like I'm a, that's who I am. That's what I'm going to do. He's like, like, I'm not trying. I don't wake up every day to try to live out the Christian faith. I'm training. I'm becoming more like the person I already am, not hoping to become something I'm not. That's a, the very subtle difference that Paul's unpacking here. When you try, I don't know if you've ever said this, but I've uttered these words a million times to my wife, to people I know. I'll, I'm going to try to be better. And what's underneath this is I'm going to try to be something I'm not. I'm going to try to do something that I don't like doing and that I don't consider something that I would do. But when you train, like Paul says, like I, I don't run aimlessly, I don't fight like, no, I'm like an athlete. I think like an athlete. An athlete trains because they're an athlete. That's what they do. That's who they are. And Paul is saying, look, I don't get a free pass in moving forward in my dreams. I don't get a free pass in, in following the path that Jesus laid out for me. I don't get to drift towards that type of life. I have to wake up every day and decide it. And I have to be diligent because if I'm not careful, I can have a disconnect in my life that could disqualify me. Paul knows it's really easy to use your words, but it not show up in your life. And that's at the heart of trying, isn't it? It's, I'm trying. It's, it's cheap words. Whereas training is about concrete action. But training, what it looks like training Versus trying, what we see in here is someone who has a purpose, who's someone who has a focus, who somewhere knows where they're going. They've decided ahead of time, this is who I am, this is where I'm going. And so this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to make sure I don't get distracted, and I'm going to make sure I don't get dis derailed by the other things that could get in the way. And for me, as a pastor, this is incredibly humbling because if Paul himself said he wasn't exempt, then I'm not either. In fact, this week I was 
Um, devastated wouldn't be the right word, but I was really kind of dejected and kind of sort of depressed by some news that I got. You see, I became a Christian in college, and one of the things that happened um, as a Christian, um, you know, biochem, you know, I'm reading theoretical physics, I'm a little bit of a nerd, and and so I find this individual, this speaker, who um, was the first individual I'd ever really read who was an, a Christian intellectual. I was like, man, I don't have to check my brain for my faith. There's a guy named Ravi Zacharias. I, I mean, I can vividly, this week I was vividly recalling driving down the road and like some of the words and, um, you know, popping in a CD because back then that's what you did. And I'm popping in a CD and listening to a, a message and like I'm kind of just kind of going through them on my commute and how moving and how um, intellectually challenging and how heart emotionally stirring they were. And in some ways, he shaped my early faith right after becoming a Christian. And then last year in May, he passed away. And in, in the aftermath of him passing away, uh, kind of a major publication called Christianity Today started publishing some, some articles with references to multiple women who've made allegations about him that had been ignored and overlooked by um, people around him. And as a result, to the credit of the ministry that he led, after he passed away, they hired a private investigation team at a law firm to essentially say, go into these allegations, find out if they're true. And so this past week, they, um, the ministry and the law firm released their results. And what they found in the, in the months of research and interviews and forensics on his devices was that, that Ravi Zacharias, who had been this amazing, powerful orator, um, this man who had impacted my life deeply from a distance, um, had a whole secret life he was living. Hundreds of pictures of women. That there was countless people that he had abused, that he had um, kind of manipulated, and that he had used his power to control, that he had used his ministry funds to, to, like, even support some of them around the world. It was devastating. And it came out as I was reading this passage and being reminded that Paul, as I'm reading Paul's words daily and then I'm preparing for this message for you and listening to this guy named Craig Rochelle who's, who pulls out this passage, the train and the try idea, that I was like, oh, my goodness, that's it. That all of us, if we're not careful, Paul's trying to give us a warning that we won't drift to this. We're not going to just coast into this kind of Christian life. We're not going to coast into a great marriage. We're not going to coast into being known as a generous person. We're not going to coast into being financially kind of stable. We're not going to coast into being people who walk with freedom. We have to choose it daily. We have to calendar it. And we have to relentlessly get rid of the things that get in the way of who we already are and who we're becoming. And that when you unpack the try-train tension, it starts to change how you act. You see, I'm not trying to have a better marriage or trying to be a better father. I, am, I have a great marriage in training. I'm a great father in training. I'm a generous person in training. It changes the way you approach things. 
because I'm already that. I'm just training to become more like that. Like what Paul says, of beating my body, of recognizing with discipline, decision, daily. That's what I'm driving towards. And it also means that I take the, long, the long-term perspective, not the short-term. So, yeah, I can't run a marathon today, but I could walk a mile. And, and in some ways, that's what I've been doing. I've been walking with a friend and trying to reclaim that inner athlete I know that's inside that looks like, you know, Thor, not fat Thor, but the really hulky Thor. Like, that guy's on the inside. I just got to let him get out, right? I, that's what I need to train towards. Maybe you can't get out of debt this week, but you can kind of maybe take a break from Amazon or stop going by Dunkin's or Starbucks for a week and start to carve out in a budget financial freedom in other areas. And maybe you, you can't become that like dynamic Christian tomorrow, but you could read the Bible today or you could pray today or you could sign up for a group that we have here at Encounter Church. And maybe a great marriage and training is you going to EncounterChurch.com forward slash groups and clicking to be a part of the training group that we have around marriage. Or maybe you want to be someone who's kind of pushing for justice and truth. And that for you, part of that next training is to sign up for a group that we have around kind of the racial justice conversation. Or for the dream big conversation. So I don't know what it looks like, what you're training for. But I do know that all of us have more in us than who we are right now. And that as a follower of Jesus, that God's desire for us is that we become more like him every single day in every arena of our life. And I know, like Paul says, that if Paul's not there, I'm not there, and you're not there. And there's a greater reward in store for us. And to help us get there, just want to give you a couple questions because I believe transformation happens best in conversation and in community. And so here's a few questions to help you. As you're maybe connecting with a friend or maybe leaning into a group, that what's the coolest prize you've ever won? And what's the coolest prize? I just like hearing that from people because I think it's fascinating that some of you have won some really cool stuff. I didn't really win a lot growing up. In fact, I gave my daughter some trophies that my mom had given me that were like participation trophies in, in sports growing up. And she was like holding it like it was a, a, a Grammy. And I felt really good about that. And that might be the coolest thing I've ever won just by showing up. And how does identity impact how you train? When you think I'm a, I'm a great father in training, I'm, I'm someone who's free from addiction in training, how does that identity piece change and impact how you act? And then this is a really, really brutal question. Maybe you don't want to say this out loud, but this is worth asking. Where are you in danger of being disqualified because of the disconnect? Where in your life is the disconnect grown to the point that if someone knew, someone heard, it maybe even disqualify you, remove your credibility, and take away what you've said in the past? That we want to intentionally be people who are shrinking the disconnect, not letting that divide even further. And this is just one of those questions meant to pierce to the heart of those areas in our lives where there's a disconnect. That if we're not careful, could eventually lead to a disqualification. Because all of us, 
deep down inside, I believe, this year, can experience more, can become more like the people God intended us to to be when he created us, and for you and I in 2021 to have an experience that greater reward.